0: I'm uh, not much of a moviegoer, but when I do go, it's most often to see movies about superheroes like the Avengers and Black Panther and Wonder Woman and Captain America, or the latest episode of the Star Wars series. Yeah, I'm a little bit of a nerd, I guess, in that regard. But in 2004, to make my wife happy, which I think was probably the last time I made my wife happy, I agreed to go see a romance movie. Yes. The theater quickly filled up, and I noticed that there were only two men in the entire theater, me and the man directly ahead of me. I could tell he was cluing into the reality and... He noticed and he turned around to me to express his observation. He says, you and I are the only two men. To which I replied, get used to it. This is what the senior's home is going to be like. (laughs) Although I'm probably not going to be one of the two men. Now in the movie we were watching, the woman had to make a choice between two men that she supposedly loved. And this scene is a conversation at a critical point in the movie. Would you stop thinking about what everyone wants? Stop thinking about what I want, what he wants, what your parents want. What do you want? What do you want? It's not that simple. What do you want? What do you want? I have to go. What do you want? Those are the first... Recorded words of Jesus in the Gospel of John. What do you want? It's an important question. Because a clear understanding of our intentions is critically important if we are going to become followers of Jesus. It's important. What do you want? Is a question that we all have to wrestle with at one point or another. The question is, this question is the first of many questions asked by Jesus as you read the Gospel of John. Jesus asked questions as a way to open a dialogue so that he could share critical truth. So he asked a question to open the door to conversation, and to teaching. Now, for the next few weeks, we're going to be considering some of the questions that Jesus asked only in John's gospel. If we went outside to the other gospels, there are more questions than we could preach on in a year. But we're just going to stay in John's gospel, and then we're not going to consider all of them, just some of them. And we're going to look at specifically how these questions that Jesus asked relate to us today. And so I've simply uh, entitled this series that we're launching today, Critical Questions. Now our scripture for today was read earlier. Thank you, Karen. John chapter 1, verse 35 to 42. If you have your Bible, you can follow along. We're also going to look at the verses before what we read this morning as we uh, walk through and deal with this question. We're going to start with the context John's preaching attracted a lot of attention and he's gathering a lot of followers. Word of him has spread to Jerusalem, to Judea, and everywhere in the Jordan area where he's ministering. And because of the attention that he's gaining, there are a group of Jews in Jerusalem that went to the religious representatives and said, listen, you need to go to the wilderness near the Jordan, and investigate this new religious movement that has gained a lot of attention and is growing at an alarming rate. And they were particularly concerned because some of the people who were associated with this ministry were suggesting that perhaps John was the long-awaited Messiah. John, the son of Zechariah the priest, that John. I mean, there's nothing worse than when the pastor's kid makes the religious people feel uncomfortable. So we have it all the way back in the gospel of John. And so when the religious entourage arrived at the Jordan River, they walked up to John and they asked him straight out, who are you? Who are you? Now, John likely knew about the rumors He likely knew what they were really asking. They didn't come all the way from Jerusalem to find out what his name was. He knew what they were asking. So he answered and said, I'm not the Christ. The word Christ means anointed one or Messiah. He says, I am not the Messiah. But I want you to know that there is a Christ. There is a Messiah among us right now. But I am not he. So he said, well, if you're. Not the Messiah. Are you Elijah? Now there's a reason they asked that question. Because there's a prophecy about the Messiah that's found in Malachi 4 verse 5. And it says, see, I will send the prophet Elijah to you. Before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. This prophecy foretold that Elijah would come just prior to to the arrival of the Messiah and God's kingdom coming to, to earth. Now, the Jews interpreted this prophecy literally, since, of course, the Old Testament records that Elijah didn't actually die, but was taken up into heaven. And so, rather than understanding this prophecy as one who would be like Elijah, they actually expected Elijah to literally come back before the Messiah. John is actually the fulfillment of Malachi 4 5. Because when we read his birth announcement in Luke chapter 1. The angel told his father, Zechariah, that John would minister in the spirit and power of Elijah. It's, It's right there. So John answered them and said, no, I'm not Elijah. I'm John, the pastor's kid. So finally, they asked him, are you the prophet? Notice. Not are you a prophet, but are you the prophet? Because the prophet is a reference to Moses' promise in Deuteronomy 18.15 that someday a prophet like Moses would come and deliver Israel the Messiah. Again, John answered, no, I'm not the prophet. Well, the religious leaders, they needed an answer to take back to these Jews in Jerusalem. And they said, well, Who are you then? And John quoted Isaiah 40 verse 3. He says, I'm a voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. John is the voice that prepares the way for the Messiah. It's the imagery of a roadway that's filled with obstacles. And people would clear the roadway so that the royal entourage could pass by. Spiritually, John is preaching a message to prepare the people, the hearts of the people, so they could receive the Messiah. So they're getting a little frustrated and they're saying, okay, if you're not the Messiah... If you're not Elijah, if you're not the prophet, why then are you baptizing people? Why are you doing that? Now, baptism is not a new practice at this time. Jews did practice baptism for for those who were Gentiles. And because Gentiles were were considered to be defiled and needed cleansing as part of the converting to Judaism, they would immerse them in, in the river as a sign, as a symbol of them Now converting to to Judaism. He says, why are you putting Jews? Why are you putting God's people in the same category as Gentiles? Needing to repent in order to get ready for the Messiah. Who gave you the authority to call God's people to prepare themselves for the coming kingdom? Who gave you that authority? John answered them and said, there's one that already stands among you, but you you haven't seen him yet. But you know what? I've seen him. I've seen him and I saw the spirit descend on him like a dove and he is here already and I'm just a voice, but he is the son of God and I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. Now, this sentence would have made a lot of sense to this religious entourage because there was a rabbinic saying that went like this. Every service which a slave performs for his master shall a disciple do for his teacher except the loosing of the sandal thong. This act was deemed too low even for a disciple to perform, What John is saying here is this, I'm not even worthy to perform an act that's reserved for slaves. The only authority that I have been given is by one who's greater than I am. And with that, it appears the group had enough answers and left and returned to Jerusalem. So that sets us up for where we are today. The text. Our text for today takes place, we're told, the next day. John and two of his disciples are present when they saw Jesus passing by. And John, who has one job, right? One job. Point people to Jesus. He says, look, it's the Lamb of God. It's the Lamb of God. Now, if you study the original language, what John is actually saying here is this. Look, the Messiah is right there. You need to follow him. And when the two disciples heard John say this, they immediately jumped up and they followed Jesus, it says, without any hesitation. The word followed here is not a casual stroll the word follow here means once and for all to follow as a disciple they were getting up with the intentions that john was no longer their teacher that this was their teacher this was their rabbi it wasn't easy to gather disciples in at this time but john would have worked hard to convince people and to gather these disciples but now he's willing to give them away without Hesitation. Well, Jesus noticed them following him, and he turned and asked them our question for today. What do you want? What do you want? What are you looking for? It's a critical question. Because it's the first question that must be answered by anyone who desires to follow Jesus. What do you want? And they addressed Jesus as rabbi. Interesting. They've moved on. One minute later, they've moved on. Rabbi, teacher, our teacher, where are you staying? Where can we find you? Where are you going to be? If we're going to follow you, we want to go where you are going. We want to stay where you're staying. We want to be with you. Where where are you staying? Jesus replied, Come, you'll see. And John records that it's about four o'clock in the afternoon and they followed him and they stayed with him from what appears to be the next day. And in staying with Jesus and spending that time with him, they've concluded that he is indeed the Christ. He's the anointed one. He's the Messiah. They have the right guy. John was right. This is the Lamb of God. Now, the gospel, in John's gospel, the writer reveals the name of one of the two gosp- the disciples of John that went with Jesus, Andrew. And the first thing that Andrew did, he just found the Messiah. The first thing that he did was find his brother, Simon, and he told him, Simon, we found the Messiah. We found him. Simon. You got to come and meet him. We know where he is. We know where to find him. We found him. We've been with him. You got to come and meet him. Now, something you'll notice about Andrew is Andrew's a bringer. He's a bringer. If you look at John chapter 6 verse 8, they have a situation There's 5,000 men plus women and children, 10,000 plus people, no food. They're talking about where to buy it, how much it's going to cost, and what happens? Andrew the bringer shows up with a little boy and says, I found this little guy that has five loaves and two fish. And then the miracle unfolds. In John chapter 12, verse 22, they're traveling along, and these Greeks I've heard about Jesus and they want to meet Jesus and they can't get to him. They don't know how to get to him. And so Andrew hears their request and he comes to Jesus and he arranges for them to see Jesus. Andrew's a bringer. That's his gift. And so here's Simon. It says that Jesus looked at him, gazed on him. Stared at him intently. It's kind of like when your daughter brings that guy home. You're looking deep into his soul. I have a gun and I don't mind going back to prison. He's staring at him intently. I can imagine it's a little uncomfortable. You know what it's like when someone's really staring at you and you can't make them look away? Right? Right? likely uncomfortable, awkward moment. And then Jesus speaks and he says, you are Simon, son of John, but you will become, be called Cephas, Peter. I see who you are today, Simon. Impulsive, volatile, unreliable. But I also see who you will become. Change is going to happen, Simon. Who you are today is not who you're going to be. Your story is still being written, Simon. A person's name held great significance. Changing a name could be done only by one with authority and often declared a change in character or personality. Jesus questioned, what do you want in this short period of time, resulted in three disciples deciding that they wanted to be followers of Jesus. That's what they wanted. They wanted to follow the one that they were longing for, that they were searching for, that for generations their families had been waiting for. They found him. And their answer to his question, What do you want? was to follow him because he was what they wanted. Application. I believe this simple yet critical question is one that Jesus is asking all of us to answer today. What do you want? What do you want? What are you looking for? What are you looking for? It's an important question because a clear understanding of our intentions is critically important if we're going to become followers of jesus it's a question we must all wrestle with it's the first question that has to be answered by any of us who wants to become a follower of jesus this is the first question we have to answer and the answer jesus is looking for the answer that jesus is hoping for is that is this jesus we want to go where you're going We want to stay where you're staying, Jesus. We want to be a part of what you're doing. We want to follow you because we believe that you are who you say you are. Now, as I look at this passage, I believe we can learn some important things from the people in our scripture today that will help us answer the what do you want question in the way that Jesus hopes we'll answer it. We can learn humility from John. Sure. John was confident. He spoke the truth. He was in your face. He called for repentance. He challenged the spirituality of religious people. He wouldn't back down when confronted. He knew who he was. He knew what his role was. And he carried it out With confidence. But John was humble. He knew his role was to prepare the way for someone greater than he. He was the voice announcing another. It was not about him, and he was okay with that. He didn't need the praise. He didn't need the affirmation of others. He knew the theme of his life was, I must decrease and he must increase. John released the people he invested in because the impact it would have on the kingdom was more important than his own ego. So not a problem. May I suggest this morning that humility is an absolute must if we are to become followers of Jesus, recognizing in humility that our lives are not our own, that we're here to serve Jesus, that we're here to build God's kingdom, that we're here to give our lives away because it is only when we do that will we find true life. That our resources are His. Our relationships are His. Our time is His. Our training is His. Our experiences are His. It's all to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I freely give. That's what coming to Jesus in humility means. Not just to sing words. Because they sound nice, but to mean it all to Jesus, I surrender. A few years ago, when we were getting ready to launch Hillspring Church, there were a lot of conversations with people inside and outside the church focused on what it would cost EPC to do it. It's important to consider the cost when you're taking on something that's significant. It has, the cost has to be counted. We were investing a lot of money. We we're releasing so many young families that were generous givers, were talented volunteers. They were musicians and they were serving in the children's ministry. And by releasing them and, and, and planting Hillspring, it left a hole in our financial resources. It left a hole in our schedules. It left a hole in our children's ministry because many of the people who felt called to plant it had young children that went with them. Now, as I look back now, as hard as, as, as it has been, I'm thrilled that we did it. Because EPC is not a family that focuses on building our church. We're focused on building God's kingdom at whatever cost He asks of us. That's who we are. If we are going to follow Jesus, we're going to have to give up some things that are hard to release and be okay with that. Some of us are going to have to give up our dreams, some of us are going to have to give up our goals. We may have to give up our priorities, our time, our money, our experience that we've gleaned through the years, our abilities. We may even have to sacrifice our retirement plan to follow Jesus. But if we're going to follow Jesus, you have to do it in humility. And when you do it in humility, it usually costs you something. We learn humility from John. We learn motivation from Andrew. Andrew's the kind of guy that when he experienced something wonderful, he had to share it with others. Now, I can relate to that. I can be a little overbearing in this regard. Jen's way worse than me even. But when you experience something really good, right? You just, you just want other people to know about it. So if you find this restaurant that's delicious, you want to tell, oh, you got to go there. They have the best, you know, and, and you, you got to go there. Or you drive a car and you say, this is a great car. Or, you know, you, you have an experience and you go, oh, you got to try that. Or you find a new grocery store that sells all this creative, interesting stuff. Or you find that good deal. That's my favorite. That good deal story. Why? Because I want you to experience it too. If I got a good deal, I want you to get a good deal. If I found a great grocery store, I want you to find it too. So we're both eating the same thing. I want that for us. The moment Andrew concluded that Jesus was the one they were longing for, He immediately went to his brother. He wanted his brother to experience what he had experienced, so he brought him to Jesus. As we said, Andrew was a bringer of those who needed to come to Jesus. Interesting that Peter went on to hold much more prominence than Andrew ever did. That didn't matter. All that mattered was that Peter found Jesus. When we're confronted by Jesus with the question, What do you want? and we respond in humility by following him, it results in a motivation that's compelling. We can't help but bring others to Jesus so they can experience what we've experienced. Now, I want us to note the focus of churches for many years has been more about bringing people to church than it is bringing people to Jesus. And that's another sermon, but I want you to know there's a big difference in those two things. Statistically, the people who are most excited, most engaged in introducing others to Jesus are those who are new to faith. Statistically, they found Jesus. It's fresh. He's changed their lives. They want others to experience what they have experienced. Statistically, the most effective people at bringing people to Jesus are new followers of Jesus. But sadly, over time the excitement tends to fade even though we pretend it doesn't but it doesn't motivate us the same following jesus means we become disciples and we become disciple makers no exception it's not a program it's it's simply living your life for jesus sharing your life with others for the sake of the kingdom showing them jesus in your life teaching them about jesus as you do life with them And like Andrew, the best place to start is with those who are in relationship with us, those who know us. Now, sadly, that can work against us, right? To declare that we are follower of Jesus but lack motivation to bring others to him, wouldn't you think that that's an indication that something might not be right in our relationship with, with Jesus? If we we want to serve and know Jesus, but we're not motivated to bring others along, if that's the case, is there's not something wrong? From Andrew, we learn that when we experience Jesus, we're motivated to help others experience Him too. We learn about potential from Peter. Peter didn't delay coming to Jesus because he felt he wasn't worthy. That he wasn't what he knew he should be yet. He came as he was and he was accepted by Jesus just as he was. What Jesus sees when he looks at us and what others see when they look at us is very different. And Jesus sees it all. Even the stuff we're hiding. The stuff we'd never let other people see. He even sees that. He sees our flaws. He sees our brokenness. He sees our pain. He sees our sin. He sees our past. But what's interesting and exciting is who we really are doesn't scare him off. He doesn't. When Jesus looks at us, he not only sees who we really are at this moment, but he sees who we can become, he sees our future. He sees our healing. He sees where we're broken. He sees forgiveness in our future. He sees growth. He sees second chances and third chances. He sees our future. Because Jesus is not finished with us yet. He didn't bring us this far to only bring us this far. He sees potential in you and in me. That no one else can see. Even those who believe in you the most. Even those who support you the greatest. They don't see what he sees. He believes in you. In a way that no one else can believe in you. Now you may look and feel like you're alone. But he's with you. You may feel unloved. But he loves you beyond what you can begin to imagine. You may appear and feel weak. But you are strong in him. He sees your strength, not your weakness. You may appear and feel worthless, but you're incredibly valuable to him to the point of this table you're valuable enough to die for. When I was growing up in church, we used to sing a chorus by Bill Gaither that said these words, something beautiful. Something good. Anybody else 100 years old and remember that? Yeah. Yeah, we're not singing it. Something beautiful. Something good. All my confusion, he understood. All I had to offer him was brokenness and strife, but he made something beautiful of my life. Following Jesus is not about measuring up to a standard. It's about giving him who you are and allowing him to make something beautiful out of your life because you have potential. We're not who we were. And we're not yet who we will be. But by the grace of God, one day we're going to get there. And he takes us as we are with all of the mess and the brokenness and the pretending that we're something better and different than we are. And he looks into all of that and he accepts us and wants to fulfill the potential in us. So when he says, what do you want? We know that he can do something with our lives. And we learn about promises from Jesus. As I studied this scripture this week, the thing that moved me most was the truth that God keeps His promises. I don't know about you, but I need to be reminded of that from time to time, because from where I sit, there's a lot of days that I question that. I was reminded that God keeps His promises. It may take a while. It may unfold different than we expect, but God is faithful to keep His promises. Hundreds of years before this scripture that we're reading this morning, God made promises. Promises about hope. Promises about deliverance. Promises about salvation. Promises about a savior. And as we read the first chapter of John's gospel, we see repeatedly that this is an account of God fulfilling what he said he would do. The very presence of Jesus is a declaration that God keeps his promises. Now, there are universal or general promises that God has made for all of us, all of mankind. But then there are some promises that God makes specifically to us in our context, in our situation, in our walk with him. There are times when it may appear that God not keeping those promises, but I want to assure you today, God keeps his promises. He's working when it appears as if nothing is happening. Easter tells us that the best. He's working when things look different than we thought they would because God is faithful. So don't give up. Don't be discouraged. Don't don't lose hope. God keeps his promises. God keeps his promises. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back. Folks, Jesus is asking all of us today, what do you want? What do you want? And it's an important question. It's a really important question. It's a question that all of us have to wrestle with when he says to us, what do you want? And my prayer for you this morning is that it leads you to answering it by saying, what I want is I want to go where you're going. I want to do life with you. I want to be with you, Jesus. I want to stay where you're staying. I want to go where you're going. I want to do what you're doing. I want to follow you because I believe that you are who you say you are. I believe that you're worth following. I believe that you are worth more than a percentage of my life. You are worth more than a half-hearted surrender of some things. No. You're worth it all. All of it. Every piece. Every aspect. All of me. That's what I want. I want to give all of me... To you. All of me. To you. Because the truth is. That's the only definition of what it means to be a follower of, Christ- of, of Jesus. You can call yourself whatever title you want. And you can convince yourself of anything you want. But really the only way to be a follower of Jesus is to say. All of me belongs to you. As simple as that. The most difficult thing we'll ever do. The most challenging, complex aspect of our lives that we're ever faced. The biggest dilemma that we'll have to come to terms with. Do I give you my life or don't I? But when we do, we have to give it in its wholeness. So what do you want? Some of the followers of Jesus, they just wanted to hang around. They wanted to be around the good stuff, the fun stuff, the, the miracles, the feedings, the, 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 the calming of the water. They wanted to be around this guy who does great things and that they could benefit from. They had ideas of who he was that were wrong. But in those moments, Jesus turned and said to them, what do you want? Because if you're going to follow me, this is what it's going to take. You're going to have to take up your cross. In essence, he's saying, if you're going to follow me, then you have to give me all of you. All of you. I invite you to stand with me this morning. I'm going to invite our prayer team to come. But I pray in my heart that none of us will leave this place this morning. With that question resonating through our minds and our, and our hearts and the depths of our soul. That question from Jesus. It's not my question. It's his question. What do you want? Are you in or are you out? Is it all or is it nothing? What do you want? Oh, you can answer that this morning. As the prayer team comes, some of you have needs this morning and we want to pray with you. Maybe some of you this morning are ready to make a decision. You've been teetering on the fence. Maybe you've been sort of around this thing your whole life, but you have never answered the question, what do you want in the way he's waiting for the answer? You're holding back. And today you say, no, you can have it all. All of me. I've sung it a hundred times, but today I mean it in my prayer. All of me. All of Jesus I surrender. So, prayer team, would you come? Those who want prayer this morning, would you come? As we take this next few moments, would you allow the Spirit of God to reach deep within you this morning? And make force you to consider that question. What do you want? We're going to pray in a moment to conclude the service. We've been singing some very powerful words of commitment. As you leave this place this morning, I want you to imagine that the person walking out the door ahead of you is Jesus. And you've answered the question of what do you want by saying, I want to go where you're going. I want to be a part of what you're doing. I want my life to be given completely to you. And as that happens, he's going to lead us to some familiar places, to our family, like Andrew, to our brother and our sister, our children, our parents, familiar places, familiar people, comfortable places. But I want to remind you this morning, if you're really going to follow Jesus, you're also going to end up in some really uncomfortable places around some people who make you feel very uncomfortable. Because the truth is, Jesus spent his ministry, went out of his way to be with the people that most of us deliberately try to avoid. That's the truth. And so as we walk out these doors, followers of Jesus, yes, we go to our families and our workplaces and the familiar things and the places we're comfortable but don't be surprised because following Jesus will always take you to the uncomfortable places, to the uncomfortable people, to wrestle with the uncomfortable issues. Father, this morning, as we prepare to leave this place, most of us are here, carry the burden of loved ones. We would give anything to see come to you. And this morning, we pray that you would bring them draw them by your spirit and that you would use us and others to do that and lord as we encounter you let the excitement and joy and life-changing reality of us be be so impacting that those around us will want what we have and lord i pray that as we go and we follow you we know that you're going to take us to neighborhoods and streets and places where there are people that That it's not easy for us to be around. Calling us to love those that are not easy to love. Because their lifestyles just are an offense to what we believe. But it didn't stop you. And if we follow you, we know it won't stop us either. So, Father, I pray that you would help us, give us wisdom, give us us love, give us mercy and grace and compassion. As we give our whole selves to you, take us where you want to take us. Use us how you want to use us. And, Lord, we leave this place today excited about that. We found you. We found you. The one we want. The one that for so long our soul has craved. We know you. And we get to leave this place and live out what that means every moment of this week. And bask in the excitement of how life-changing that is. Not just for us, but for those around us. So lead us, we pray. Guide us, we pray. And help every moment of our day be moments of complete surrender to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you as you go. Thank you for being here today.